In February of 2001, my life changed. I experienced something that can only be defined by biblical language found in the New Testament. The experience with God I had that day changed everything for me. I went from not really believing in God and even potentially thinking that it all might be a myth to radically changing my view on basically everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. The knowledge that God is real forced me to question all my presuppositions and preconceived notions about the world and my existence. That day, the wreckage of my flawed thinking gave me a sense of humility about what I knew that has been a bedrock of my faith. It's made me think more deeply and be open to considering new information. On top of the personal peace and purpose that experience with Christ gave me, it also left me a great gift, the gift of a truly open mind, the gift of reconsidering and rethinking those things I once thought were true. For anyone old enough to appreciate this, you will know true change comes rarely. In fact, it is almost unheard of in a world that doubles down on opinion in order to run to the comments section. And oddly enough, this is where I introduce Alex Jones. Because I have such a commitment to truth and realize the powerful nature of deception, I am committed to being willing to change my mind. That comes with varying price tags, as it does for all people, because I know more about some things than I do other things, and it's harder to change my mind where I have solid footing. That's a good thing. It's a bad thing when I refuse to consider new information in spite of how little I know about something. And for this reason, I have to be willing to give thought to Alex Jones and who he is and what I actually have heard about him. And for this reason, I can't write Alex Jones off because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know a whole lot about him. And the vast majority of people out there who hate him, they don't either. They're merely following the mainstream media's narrative about who he is. But I don't trust them and neither should you. If you did trust them, then you would fall for the lie that white supremacy and specifically white male Christians are the worst threat facing America today. If you believe the media, you'd probably still be wearing a mask and have multiple boosters flowing through your blood right now, unlike myself who enjoys pure blood. You would totally have to disregard every piece of information at your disposal and blindly believe the proposition that abortion is a choice rather than the murder of a baby. I would have to totally deny human biology, objective reality, and the obvious benefit that comes from heterosexual marriage to accept the moronic idea that homosexual unions are of the same quality. All of that and more would come from a blind faith in the media. Thank God that they've totally blown their credibility and they can't be trusted. But that does leave us in a tight spot. As Jefferson said, whenever the people are well-informed, they can be trusted with their own republic. So what do we do when we can't trust the places that are supposed to inform us? Well, it's simple. We think for ourselves. So I say, perhaps the greatest threat today is not misinformation from people like Alex Jones as much as it is the inability to receive new information and to think about it. This is the very thing that I dislike the most about atheists, by the way. Largely, they refuse to grapple with any legitimate information that comes from the New Testament, from history, from archaeology, and from the, anything that comes to try to undermine their belief in atheism. They simply mock it and walk the other direction. And they do that because they simply love their atheism too much. I do not wish to be a hypocrite, and because I dislike that the most in the worldview of atheism, I don't want to fall victim to the same kind of blind adherence to a narrative myself. That is why I cannot let the media or even the desire for simplistic thinking tell me who Alex Jones is. I know 
odd place for Alex to pop up, but he is a good example of what I hope to show today on the show, that we must make up our mind for ourselves based upon evidence. Tucker's conversation with Alex is a useful tool in that regard. There are many who will quickly dismiss the need to do such a thing. Christian conservatives like myself will quickly dismiss him, and you can bet social liberals will not even consider listening to this new interview with Tucker. In the process, they will do what all stupid people do. They will shoot themselves in the foot by neglecting one of the great benefits of being an American, the opportunity to hear the free discourse of ideas. Now, I'm not saying that we should have our minds so open that our brains fall out, but I'm simply saying this. If you don't know why Alex Jones has been canceled, then you have no business saying anything negative about him. And unfortunately, a lot of people have already made up their mind about Alex Jones without ever doing anything resembling critical thinking about this man. Today on the show, I'm going to go through Tucker's interview with Alex and some of the details to show you that some very thought-provoking questions emerge. The reason I will do this is simply because I want to encourage all of us to think more clearly, to think better, to develop your own opinion based upon facts. More importantly, I want you to develop a resistance to the programming that is in our society. Only then will you be a tool in the hand of God for making a difference in this world. Today on the show, you'll find some things that you suspect aren't true, but then you'll also find some things that are hard to deny, and you will come out on the other end better for it, as all people are when they refuse to let others do their thinking for them. And we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to give us a five-star review. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, you can go and review our podcast and leave a little comment about it. And I hope you will. It's a great opportunity to make sure that you can count all the way up to five so that you can give us five stars. And while you're counting and going through your bank account as it diminishes slowly, but surely over the Christmas season, just a moment to go to the description of this podcast or to go to the link that's on the screen right now and consider end of year giving with IndieThinker. Even if it's just a small amount, send something our way to let us know that what we're doing here on the show makes a difference and it's being a benefit to you. Whether you know it or not, or whether you even respect him or not, Alex Jones has done some things that deserve a little bit of our attention. He's predicted 9-11 before it ever took place by suggesting that a commercial airliner would be used in a terror attack and that it would be blamed on Osama bin Laden. There's all sorts of other things he's predicted that deserve at least our attention. And here's a short montage of some of the things that Alex Jones has predicted before they ever took place. By the middle of September, that the new policy's being written, you will all have to wear masks again and so will airport employees. It's happening. Mass mandates are officially back. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun, or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden, who was a known CIA asset in the 80s. This group and its leader, a person named Osama bin Laden. He's the boogeyman they need. We're looking at a giant war in February right now. I predict the Russians are going to roll in. They're already there. They're going to roll in with attacks across Ukraine, which is the size of Texas. It really was the Iraqis. That's just because they're getting ready to invade Iraq. For those of you with an inquisitive mind, you should be asking right now, regardless of what you think about Alex Jones and gay frogs, whether or not Alex Jones should be taken seriously. Moreover, you should be asking the question, 
How did Alex Jones gain the knowledge to predict all of these things, to predict 9-11, to predict COVID and the forced using of masks, the establishment of ESG and the invasion of the Ukraine by Russia? At least an inquisitive mind would want to know how he knew about these things in advance. Before you discount Alex Jones, you should take the time, as Tucker Carlson did, to ask these questions. And that's exactly what took place when these two men came together. I think it is worth your thought and worth your time to engage in that conversation. I'm going to try to help synthesize a little bit of it for you today. But I'm going to do so because I simply believe that not only there are forces in America that have done the best they can to try to discredit Jones, but also because we do ourselves no favor when we refuse to ask ourselves honest questions about things that deserve an answer. How did Alex Jones come to the knowledge of these things? Well, that's at least one of the things that is discussed on this interview with Tucker. So here is just a small response from Alex Jones about how he came to the knowledge of these things before they took place. Check it out. I'm not really making predictions in these high-level World Economic Forum and other large think tank groups they are laying out the future, and they're, they're high priests of the World Economic Forum. It's a consortium of all these groups. Yuval Noah Harari, you, you can read his quotes, the future is not human. The human era is over. Uh, the public is useless. I mean, th th this is a very anti-human system, so that's how I'm able to make predictions, because they've given us a roadmap. They, they tell us where they want to take us. And so when the public wakes up, we push back on some of it, but they always come back. And so I'm just following the trajectory of where they say they want to take us. And there were a lot of white papers. Now, hearing that response from Alex Jones made me realize that perhaps I've been a little bit too quick to judge Alex Jones as a mere conspiracy theorist or a kook. Because Alex is just simply saying something that I firmly believe, that there are forces in America today that not only want to discredit Alex Jones and make him disreputable so that you don't believe him, which is kind of odd, but also that the people who are behind that are also saying the quiet part out loud, that everywhere, if you care to pay attention, you can find the agenda on full display by people who are not just anti-human, anti-American, anti-God, but basically anti-everything. And they are saying the quiet part out loud a lot lately. See, I believe this because I did something. I ventured outside of my echo chamber in early 2020 and in late 2020 and in the consecutive years to go to school board meetings where I was absolutely shocked to find out some of the things that were discussed in our school board meetings. Even if you push aside the fact that there is ex sexually explicit LGBTQ agenda material in libraries, in schools, in elementary schools, um, and others, if, even if you push that to the side, I was shocked to find some of the things that I saw in my public school system. And all that came because I went to a school board meeting where they were discussing these things openly. See, if you take the time to pay attention, you will recognize that there are forces in society that are shifting the culture toward a neo-Marxist postmodern end. And all you have to do is pay attention to that. And I have to give Alex Jones some credit here. It seems at least that that's what he is doing. He is just listening to people who say the quiet part out loud and then trusting what they say, that they actually mean what they are saying. How much further down the drain does our society have to go before we understand that there are people who are actively pushing our culture toward these ends? They've been saying it for a long time and it's working.
Alex Jones just has the temerity to actually pay attention to what they're saying and then take them at their word. So I can't help but realize that maybe Alex Jones has a real point here, that all you have to do is take the time to read for yourself and you will see that these people are anti-human, anti-God, anti-American, anti-just about everything else. Now I get it, many of you are still going to say at the end of this, well, what about this and what about that and what about this thing that Alex Jones says that, abs that is absolutely ridiculous? What about the fact that uh, the government is running experiments on frogs to try to turn them gay um, and all of that. And then there's some of you who are going to say, Reed, why would you even suggest that that might be something that really isn't that credible because look at this, 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 and this. And I understand there's, there's enough evidence out there on the internet today to try to convince you of a myriad of things that may be totally baseless. But all I'm saying is that it is undeniable that Alex Jones did did predict some things, and he tells us that they weren't predictions. He's just simply reading what these people have been saying all along. And for that reason, I believe it deserves a little bit of our attention before you too quickly discount him and too quickly hate on a man simply because you've been told to hate him when there may be a reason why you've been told to hate him in the first place. And with that being said, I'm glad that Alex Jones is back on Twitter, not because I agree with everything that he says. And let me give you a for instance here. There is an issue that I have with Alex Jones. More generally speaking, I'll give you a specific example. More generally speaking, it is because I agree with the evidence that he is presenting, but not always the conclusions that he's drawing about that evidence. For, for instance, um, he's gone on record to say that the invasion of Israel on October 7th was potentially an inside job. It was a false flag operation in order to try to create a more kind of totalitarian state in Israel where Israel can be done Gaza and control that area. Um, and, and that's simply done on the verifiable evidence that Israel knew in advance that October 7th was going to happen. They didn't know the date and they didn't know exactly the extent of it, but they had intel, and Israel is one of the world's most sophisticated intelligence organizations. Um, they did have the intel that something like this was going to happen. Now, his conclusion is that, again, like I said, it's an inside job. I think that is a conclusion that demands more evidence than what we have right in front of our face. However, I'm open to the suggestion, but I would just simply say this. The, the way more obvious conclusion here is not that Israel was behind the attack of their own people, which would make them horrible, disgusting monsters that should be overthrown immediately, if true. More importantly, and I argued this on the show last week, more importantly, what I think this does is it, is it reminds us of something that is vitally important for all of us to consider, which is that human beings are flawed and we make mistakes all the time. Uh, in other words, I guess I would say I don't want to chalk up to malice what I can chalk up, chalk up to ignorance because I, I understand the condition of the human heart and the human mind. I mean, just scroll through um, atheists blasting uh, Christians and other religious believers sometimes and you will see the most ridiculous, uninformed, uneducated responses to a myriad of different subjects. And all of these people thinking that they're actually smart while doing so. It's enough to make you lose a little bit of faith in the human species. Suffice to say, human error, I think, plays into October 7th way more than false flag operations in a totalitarian state. I think it's interesting to insert those things and it causes people to want to pay attention and to, to key into what's happening. Uh, but, but it may not necessarily it may not necessarily be a conclusion based on the evidence. So, so here's what I would say about Alex Jones at the end of the day. Listen to what he's saying. 
Consider the evidence that he's presenting and then draw your own conclusions. But friend, I would say that about everyone. Whether you're listening to the liars on MSNBC or on CNN, or let's face it, sometimes even on Fox, regardless of who you're listening to, listen to the evidence, draw your own conclusion based upon that evidence. Think critically and stay informed because that's the way that you can truly develop discernment in a society where you are constantly being lied to. And I wanna bring you to our next story because this is gonna be a story that will try to help you sharpen your discernment as well. Because just recently, a clip from the new Santa Claus's movie that Disney released has been making its rounds on the internet and it's gone viral. And a lot of people are outraged over the fact that there is a love letter to Satan in the brand new Santa Claus's movie. So I wanna show you that clip right now so that you you can kind of see it for yourself. So on the screen now, you'll see that Tim Allen is back in the role of Santa Claus and he's being welcomed by his elves and they have letters in their hand and they're trying to spell, I love Santa, but instead it says, I love Satan. And here's what Tim's character says in response to that. Spelling. As I suggested, this clip has made the rounds on social media and it has sparked a lot of outrage in a campaign to cancel Disney. And I wanna make just a couple of comments about this because again, I believe that this will be really, really important for our discernment. So the first thing is this, is that I really do think that Christians especially and Christian conservatives need to have a sense of humor. This is just a joke. Obviously, they are not truly praising Satan or sending a love letter to Satan here. This is just simply a, a probably a poor attempt, but an attempt nonetheless at trying to make a joke. If anything, you can interpret this using discernment to say, what these people are trying to do is poke fun at the fact that nobody should love Satan. It's a horrific statement to say such a thing. And that's what they're, that's what they're pointing out here is that it would be ridiculous and stupid to say, I love Satan and not Santa. Um, so I, I do think that we could stand to have a little bit of a sense of humor and not take these things things at least like this so seriously. So and that kind of is the next point is that we need to secure and save our outrage for the things that really demand our outrage. This is going to be important for us too in truly discerning the things that matter in this world. This, this joke on the Santa Clauses pales in comparison to the things that you should have canceled Disney for ages ago. I mean, I'm shocked by posts like this where people are calling for the cancellation of Disney now. Yo, so if y'all haven't seen the dang on Disney plus Santa Claus and how it says we love Satan, I had to check this myself. Yes, I definitely have some big shoes to fill. Check this. I have big boots to fill. Okay. Look at this. I'm boycotting Disney Plus. I'm deleting my account. I can't rock with them. So you're going to cancel Disney for this in a movie with renowned conservative Tim Allen, who I don't think would be in a movie that really does want to praise Satan, by the way. Uh, but you're going to cancel Disney for that, but not for the sexual indoctrination of children? I mean, we all know by now the not-so-secret gay agenda of Disney by the people who are making their shows. Our leadership over there has been so welcoming to like my like not at all secret gay agenda. And so Have we forgotten about the drag celebration that Disney threw back in June where grown men are dressed as women?
here to guide you through a magical, musical, and meaningful. Have we forgotten about the cross-dressing employees dressed as princesses in their shops in Disney World and Disneyland? How about this? Have we forgotten about the radical racial agenda that they're using on Disney to try to stir up animosity between people? This country was built on slavery, which means slaves built this country. That was from the Proud family, by the way. And have we so quickly forgotten about the intersectional feminist agenda that is plaguing all of the biggest franchises in Disney today under the helm of people like Kathleen Kennedy? I mean, they've destroyed Star Wars. They've emasculated Marvel movies. And destroyed Indiana Jones and so much more. I mean, the, the ball cutting spree that has gone on at Disney absolutely makes Vanderbilt and other gender clinics all around the United States envious that they haven't been able to cut off more balls than Disney. And most importantly, how about this? If you haven't canceled Disney yet, maybe you just don't know about it and you should be aware of the fact that they are an incredibly pro-abortion minded company. Disney has given money to Planned Parenthood for years and they were one of the first companies to join a slew of other companies that decided that they would make sure that they paid for people's travel expenses to go get abortions after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. If you haven't canceled Disney now, then I honestly don't think you should cancel it because of Santa Claus's because you obviously are not allowing your conscience to inform your decision making. I just wanna end by saying this, it is a good thing to boycott. Listen, I hear the arguments all the time. You can't boycott everything, or you're just gonna boycott everything because if you actually did enough research in all of these companies, they're all evil, and we gotta get our groceries from someplace. True enough. But Disney and Target have made it increasingly easy for you if you have a conscience and care to put your morals where your money is, if you care to do that, they made it increasingly easy to cancel businesses like theirs. And you can easily go somewhere else and support the companies that deserve your money more so than those companies. I get it. That means you actually have to be discerning. That means you actually have to pick and choose winners. I understand that means you actually have to take seriously where you spend your money and it's way easier just to spend it mindlessly. But hopefully by now you can see there is a group of people who are hell bent on changing the culture to look as hell bent as possible. And the tip of the iceberg is just saying they love S Satan on Santa Clauses as a joke. And it's far, far deeper than that. All right, well, let's jump into our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh God of pronouns. In this segment of the show, I like to show the way in which Democrats have distorted and perverted Christianity and tried to use it for their own purposes. But often the way this kind of works itself out in the culture is the way in which we have removed Christianity from the culture and what we're putting in its place. And I certainly have, I think, a story of that as we look at UNLV in a recent shooting that took place, according to Yahoo News, a gunman, an academic who had applied for a job at the university, opened fire in a building Wednesday, killing three faculty members and wounding a visiting professor, throwing the campus into a state of emergency and grief. On Friday, the university acknowledging the trauma students and faculty have experienced canceled on-campus in-person finals. Instead, faculty and students have flexibility to decide how to end their semester. Optional online finals or take-home projects can be taken to improve grades. Otherwise, students will learn 
will earn a grade based on their work before December 6th, the day of the shooting. Students will also be given the opportunity to receive credit for their classes without a grade. And in the midst of, of this kind of gun violence, we hear very often that prayers aren't enough. And I'm going to argue that the exact opposite is true. The experts that want to tell us about guns will also tell us that prayers are not the solution to some of the senseless acts of violence that we see in America today. And I'm going to tell you there couldn't be anything further from the truth. Now, I'm not going to make an empirical argument as much as I am going to make a logical argument right now. And this won't even necessarily prove that God exists, but I hope you, you will see through it that it will prove the necessity of God. Let me read one last part of the story, and then I'll try to draw some conclusions. The story will go on and it will say this, graduation ceremonies will go on, but not exams, and even some will be given credits without grades. So let me get this straight. Graduation ceremonies will take place as planned, but you will be able to pass without taking an exam. You'll be able to get credit without even needing a grade. So you could have screwed off all semester, chased girls, got drunk, and now you're going to get credits for those classes without actually having to pass them. Now, it's interesting to me, the double standard here, because they're full on happy to celebrate themselves with a graduation ceremony, but too traumatized to actually get the grades that they earned all semester long. I only bring this up to just try to illustrate this simple point that I think as a society, we're becoming soft and past generations know this to be true. And I can't help but believe that because we have moved Christianity from the public square and now are a more secular nation than we have been in past generations, that we are creating a generation of people who cannot deal with adversity like we have in past generations. Now, I know many of you will argue, well, that's, co that's correlation, not causation. I'm going to say to you that... Um, Obviously, I, I think that you have a point there, so I'll hedge my bet and say it's possible that it's just uh, that it's correlation and not causation. However, I think when you look at the way in which people today are able to handle adversity and suffering and difficulty, it is undeniable that when we were a more religious nation, we were able to handle more things. And I can't help but believe that those two things are related. And I want to say more about this. Scottish patriot Andrew Fletcher said this. Let me make the songs of a nation, and I don't care who makes its laws. The sentiment is a powerful reminder that culture really matters. But I would take that quote one step further and say probably one of the most important cultural norms is how we deal with suffering. So I will show you a generation and how they deal with suffering, and I will show you their future. As a culture, we are taught to have safe spaces, to rage on social media. I'm not that old, but even I was taught in college and not so long ago that the only way to develop a strong and thoughtful worldview is to have it challenged, to apply pressure to it, to make sure that it can stand up to scrutiny. Today, we are teaching a generation of young kids that you can totally redefine reality with a simple feeling. Not only is it absolutely ridiculous to say you can feel like a woman, whatever that even means, but even more deadly is the idea that our feelings are now deeply epistemically potent. So I say, show me how a generation handles difficulty and I'll show you the future of that generation. That's why I suggest to you that yes, we should be concerned what took place at UNLV. We should take the time to mourn for those people who lost their loved ones. And you might even argue, well, Reed, it is a petty thing to talk about the way in which we handle suffering when these people lost their lives. But I don't think so. I think it actually really, really matters. I think it matters because where you put your hope 
can control you. You know, psychologists and uh, psychiatric professionals are so concerned with the locus of control and that religion makes people lose their locus of control and puts their locus of control in something else. And I would argue that just by going to a psychologist, you're taking your locus of controlling and putting it in their hands. And so we do this very often. And I, and I would tell you, the way we place our hope matters because it will determine who actually controls us. And we are all hoping in something. And I'm just saying the way that we're doing it in our secular society doesn't provide the kind of basis that we need to really endure suffering because we don't have the hope that can withstand the difficulties that this world is bringing us and that every generation in the past has had to go through. We're just not equipped. We don't have the equipment for it like we used to in the past. And so that's why I think it's important to use this tragic shooting as an opportunity to share with you something that Marx knew very well. Karl Marx called religion the opiate of the masses because, one, he hated Christianity, but also because he believed that Christianity provided a narrative for suffering that was antithetical to revolution. If you couldn't stir people up to be angry about the things that they were enduring in this life, and if you couldn't get them to blame institutions and to blame uh, the bourgeois, then you wouldn't truly be able to stir up the kind of revolutionary rage necessary to destroy everything and recreate everything in the image of Marx. So as you can see, where you put your hope does control you. Marx knew this well, and he wanted people to put their hope not in God, but to put their hope in him. Now, this is kind of illustrated, I think, in a beautiful way in a dialogue in one of my favorite movies as a kid, The NeverEnding Story. There's a scene at the end of the movie where Gamork, a big wolf, is speaking to Atreyu, and he says something fascinating that you need to hear. Is the nothing? It's the emptiness that's left. It is like a despair destroying this world. And I have been trying to help it. But why? Because people who have no hopes are easy to control. And whoever has the control has the power. That last line says it all. Whatever you hope in can control you. As a believer in God, I'm happy to say I hope God controls me. I hope he controls my attitude, my thinking, and the, and the way in which I treat other people. I hope he controls me. But let's just be real honest about what our culture is hoping in by and large. Whatever is controlling them, all it's doing is producing despair, anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I want to simply make a Pascal's wager with you. If it's true that just acting as though God exists is enough to help us actually hope in something that is bigger than ourselves and bigger than our suffering, and if that provides the kind of, kind of anchor for our soul that we need, then it would be better to live as though God exists even if he didn't, because it's certainly not working believing that he doesn't exist in the present. Now, that doesn't prove that God exists. I, I understand. Uh, it only proves the necessity of belief in God. I believe God does exist, and I believe that that only brings further weight to the argument I just made. But I think it is undeniable that we're producing a generation of people who don't really know how to really grapple with a fallen world. And as C.S. Lewis said, I think we need to hear it today. If we find that nothing in this world can satisfy, it could be that we were built for something more than this world. And if that's true, 
It's time we started putting our hope in something bigger than ourselves. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to go with God.